So, Will. Yes? This movie hinges around a near-perfect gem with but a single flaw in the shape of a panther. Deeply weird, because like The Thin Man, I think a movie that we're going to make a lot of comparisons to. Yes. The thing that becomes the title of the franchise is not in most of the movies. No, this movie is so clearly not part of the same franchise that they built the franchise into, if you know what I mean. I have a sense of what you mean, but this is the only one that I've seen, so I spent a lot of this movie confused. Yes, um, I can understand that. But I do want to ask, gems hold a very significant place in human history, and I'm wondering, what are what is your favorite movie gem? Um, here's the thing. There are other ones that I can talk about, but I didn't have to think about my answer. Just the clear response, the best gem in a movie, owned by Diana Rigg, Lady Holiday herself, the fabulous baseball diamond from The Great Muppet Caper. Ah, yes. The fabulous baseball diamond, of course. An enormous diamond in the shape of a baseball with stitches and everything. The whole movie is about how Diana Rigg's brother, Charles Grodin, this movie's amazing, wants to steal his sister's jewels. And it culminates in a heist on the museum where the fabulous baseball diamond is being held, which leads to a game of baseball between Charles Grodin and his henchmen and the Muppets in a museum. Oh my god. What a good choice. I think that's one of my ten favorite movies. Probably one of my five favorite movies. Wow, that's bold. I think The Great Muppet Caper is single-handedly responsible for my sense of humor. We all have that thing. It's the one, like, original Muppet feature that we owned on VHS when I was growing up. Like, I also had Christmas Carol and a direct-to-video thing called Muppet Classic Theater, where the Muppets did adaptations of uh, King Midas and The Boy Who Cried Wolf and Rumpelstiltskin. But, like, the great Muppet caper, that was the thing that I grew up on. And, like, from an early age, I was like, the fact that they are making jokes about the opening credits is the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. That was also me with Monty Python when I first watched it in the Holy Uh, Grail. See the lovely lakes. Yeah, I can point a lot of my sense of humor to watching Homestar Runner from too young of an age. I mean, it's just perfect though, right? It's so good. The first gem I thought of was also from a children's movie that I've only seen How once. How dare you? How <laughs> okay. dare you limit the Great Muppet Caper in that way? Sure. Um, Family film. Uh, allow it. And it's a movie I've seen once a very long time ago. Remember nothing except for this plot point. Which is Looney Tunes back in action, starring the Looney Tunes and Brendan Fraser. A movie I saw in theaters and have long meant to revisit. I would like to watch it again. All I know is that it is centered around a diamond called the Blue Monkey. As you say, it is familiar. Which is a funny name for a diamond if you are a very small child. (laughs) Not as good as the baseball diamond. You would have been like 11 when that movie came out. 2003? Will, I'm younger than you. Yeah. I would have been seven. Oh, I thought the movie was... I thought this was like a 2005 movie. No. Brendan Fraser and Jenna Elfman. It was a moment in time. Very specific moment in time. Uh, But it also has Joan Cusack in it, and now I'm on board. The first time I processed Joan Cusack was in a made-for-TV Muppets Christmas special called A Very Merry Muppet Christmas. That was basically, it's a wonderful life with Kermit and the Muppets. And Joan Cusack was like some business lady. Based off of her performance in Adam's Family Values, Joan Cusack should be a go-to Muppet player. 
She seems yeah. like someone who could very easily hold her own against the Muppets. Look, I remember finding her performance compelling, but I have also not seen this in many years. Yeah, I don't know if anyone else has seen it <laughs> besides you. Yeah, it uh, looks like her character was Ra- Rachel Bitterman. Wow. <laughs> Subtle. Um, Pepe the King Prawn was in love with Joan Cusack, according to the Wikipedia page, and that is something that I would watch the heck out of. That's a um, good romantic I pairing. did just learn Brendan Fraser plays Damien DJ Drake Jr. and also himself. That's a, That sounds like some Ocean's 12 business. It does sound like some Ocean's 12 business, and this movie also killed Looney Tunes in movies until 2021. Yeah, I mean, if that movie had done better, they would have made Skate Jam with Tony Hawk. Skate Jam. We were robbed. And, you know, Back in Action started development as Spy Jam with Jackie Chan. I mean, I love Brendan Fraser, but that sounds like a disaster, and I want to see it. <laughs> I'm excited that Fraser's back. Like, he was in No Sudden Move last year. Me too. He's going to be in Killers of the Flower Moon this year. Like, he's back, and he's in, like, big stuff. What were some of those other gems that you were going to mention? Um, well, I mean, there are the stones. I don't know if they're gems or not. It's been a while since I watched it, but there are those stones in Temple of Doom. The ones that, like, keep they might be vitality in the village. I mean... Uncut gems, so many options. There's the, like, big uncut gem at the central of the movie. There's the diamond-encrusted Furby. Of course, the most famous one. There are, uh, of course, the Infinity Stones. I'm a big fan of the Time Gem, which is the one that Doctor Strange has that loops time backwards, which leads to a very fun fight sequence in the original Doctor Strange, where, like, uh, the Doctor Strange movies are fun because in neither of those movies... Does it end with just, like, we're going to resolve this with a fight scene? It's always, like, he has to use his brain and, like, logic out a situation. And in that one, he gets to keep restarting the conversation using the time stone. So he groundhog days? It's closer to, like, abusing the save button in a video game. Where, like, you know oh, you're going into yes. a big fight. Something we've all like, done. Yeah. So it's kind of like that. It's fun to see a character do it in a movie. Where you save right before you fight Mewtwo. So in case you make him faint, you can just shut down your Game Boy. Exactly. All right. So none of this relates to the Pink Panther really coming up, struggling to come up with a segue here. I mean, part of the weird thing is that the Pink Panther gem barely relates to the Pink Panther. It's still a weird movie. It's a weird movie. I'm really excited to talk to you about it. So welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark and I'm gay. And I'm Will and I'm a ginger. This is a podcast dedicated to examining just the very least important issue facing the world, which is... Does Hollywood romance make any sense in the film The Pink Panther? And are any of these people actually remotely human or likable? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or a one-scene flirtation, or if it feels like it should be a minor plot and is somehow the entire movie. (laughs) We will dig in and see what's there. And as we've been very clear, this week we are talking about the original Pink Panther film directed by Blake Edwards. Wikipedia lists it as a 1963 film, but that's an Italian premiere. This movie was released in 1964. That's what we're talking about. I was so confused by this movie, and I kind of loved it. Okay, let's be clear from the start. You chose this movie. My exposure to the Pink Panther prior to this, I know the Pink Panther theme. I've seen a couple of the cartoons. I saw the first Steve Martin movie. The theme goes hard. It is a great theme. It's a piece of music you kind of take for granted in terms of how iconic it is. 
And then when it plays mm-hmm. over the opening titles of this movie, the best part of this movie, I'm going to say, it just works. It rocks. It really does make you appreciate it even more when you see it over the titles. I'm not going to fight. Those opening titles probably aren't the best part of this movie. They're great. The opening titles bought so much goodwill for me because I, I'll say this, I kind of went into this being like, I don't know. I don't know about this, but we're going to give it a shot. I loved the start where it starts just MGM logo, vague, like the only term is Oriental Palace because it is no more specific than that. And then Once Upon a Time, an aesthetic the movie never really seizes on again, but the idea that there's some fairy tale quality to it. A title drop in the first minute as they introduce the diamond. And then pretty quickly it gets into these animated opening credits an incredible theme playing, and then we have the animated Pink Panther character who is just like a little stinker. <laughs> An energy that is not matched uh-huh. anywhere else. That's in the all movie. he is. He spends the whole time like commenting on the credits. He like wolf whistles at Claudia Cardinale's name. I genuinely cackled aloud when he had to be forced at gunpoint to spell Blake Edwards' name right. Like he put up a nonsense arrangement of the letters and skittered off screen happy with himself before a disembodied hand holding a gun forced him back on. And he just kept, like, popping up with different signs that said it, and the Pink Panther. Like, it was great. I do think you breezed through a very important point, which is, it's not just Claudia Cardinale, it's the most beautiful Italian woman in Tunisia, Claudia Cardinale. Well, it doesn't say that in the credits. No, but it is so funny to me. That is such a specific pageant to host in 1957. There's a lobby for everything, Mark. Uh, yeah, uh, but yeah. Uh, so the, the credits, that really for me, like those opening top credits, notch. bought me so much goodwill that I was like, I'm here for this. And then it just increasingly became clear that the energy of the movie did not match those credits at all, which contributed to my increasing confusion as the movie didn't have the little stinker sense but also was not really a detective movie. (laughs) It's mostly just about, like, weird relationship drama with occasional pratfalls. I mean, this movie feels so... Well, one, it doesn't have, like, any of the classic Pink Panther. I've seen some of the later ones. It just doesn't have any... You've got to give me a sense of what it means to be a Pink Panther movie, because I really don't know. And to be fair, neither did audiences at this time. No. So my mom bought the Pink Panther box set. And so all of the things I remember, which includes his manservant, Kato, who jumps out at him and ambushes him in inappropriate places for him to practice, like, keeping his guard up so he can stay a good detective. I mean, that rules. Then his crazy boss who hates him, whose hatred of Clouseau eventually sends him to, like a psychiatric ward. And then also his accent is a lot more ridiculously French. Yeah, that's like the stereotype to me of Inspector Clouseau is just like ludicrously French. And that's partly from the Steve Martin, but I assumed there was some of that in the original. It really does come in more in the later ones. (laughs) It sure wasn't in this one. It's really interesting because this movie clearly was designed to be something else. And then people latched on to the Peter Sellers character, and then they tried to make it more about him. Because I can see this movie as a, like, mostly heist movie 
where it's about a debonair gentleman thief who is trying to rob a princess, but then they have a relationship and he has a woman on the side who is married to the detective. Even that's a lot once the detective becomes a meaningful character. Right. But I don't think the detective is supposed to be a meaningful character in the first conception. Like, But they cast Peter Ustinov. Like, it wasn't going to be a comic character. He was going to be, like, the straight man yeah. of the movie. But, it, again, they had Peter Ustinov. Well, I mean, they cast Christopher Walken as the Padisha Emperor, which is not going to be that big of a role. A yeah, I had to do it. So, I don't know. I just think that it's so weird what this series evolved into and what memory of this series is because later movies are more similar to the steve martin version that you saw but this movie is so much more like the code is weakening we can reference sex the bad guys can get away with it and we're still gonna make a fun movie and it does really well yeah it does um have you seen on the trail of the pink panther the one that's made after peter sellers is dead no that's the one where they, like, took leftover footage from one of the earlier movies and then wrote a movie around it. So the whole movie is people being like, where's Clouseau? And then there'll be a scene of him, like, eating a sandwich or something. That sounds so bad. It's like doing the Plan 9 thing with Bella, but at a studio level. Or, rather, it's like Carrie Fisher in Yeah, that was my first thought. Where you're like... Never underestimate a droid. It's like, I guess we got to write a scene around that line so we can use it. Wow. Let me tell you, Mark, The Rise of Skywalker, Steelbook, always in stock. Like, anytime I'm looking, like, oh, they've got The Rise of Skywalker. And I'm always, like, very easy to snatch it up. But I, I just cannot bring myself to pay for that movie. Yeah, it's not a good movie. Yeah. So, I take it you didn't like this movie very much. I was bewildered by this movie. Like, yeah. There were parts of it that I liked. I enjoyed a lot of the performances. I just, like, I really didn't feel like it cohered. No. And I think Peter Sellers is a big reason for that. Like we've been alluding to, the movie was developed as a Larry Niven vehicle. He is first build. He plays, like, the thief in the movie. And originally, Peter Ustinov and Ava Gardner were supposed to play the Clouseaus. Ustinov was going to be, like, the straight Mm -hmm. man in it all. But Gardner dropped out because the studio would not agree to her extensive demands for a personal staff, including her own chauffeur, makeup artist, hairdresser, all expenses paid villa, police protection, etc. Oh my god. So she dropped out, then Peter Ustinov dropped out, and they brought in Peter Sellers at the last minute, and they let him improvise a bunch of stuff on camera, and increasingly as time was going on, Edwards was just like, well, this is fun, like, we should be doing more of this, and like, It genuinely is a thing where, like, gradually as production went on, his role got bigger and bigger, which makes for this kind of shapeless movie where it's hard to tell who you're supposed to be invested in and what the point of anything that's happening is. Yeah. And, like, his level of pratfalls and comedy are just so unmatched anywhere else in the movie. Right. So, like, I like what Peter Sellers is doing, but I don't know what he's doing in the movie. And again, like, most of the movie isn't, or at least doesn't feel like it's even about, like, figuring out how to steal the Pink Panther diamond. It mostly feels like it's about, like, who's gonna be able to have sex with whom? Yeah. I mean, it's very sexy. And it's It's not sexy sexy at all, but it is sexual. Yeah. So it's It's a strange movie. There's, like, a champagne bottle 
premature ejaculation joke in this movie. Yeah, I think there's also a joke about, like, about Inspector Clouseau eating out his wife. Yeah. Honestly, I was shocked at how sexual this movie is. Yeah. Also, I do want to make it clear, I am fully pro-people slash government of Lugash trying to reclaim this diamond. (laughs) Yeah, the problems in this movie are so specifically 60s, where it's like, ah, these former colonies have gotten their independence and overthrown the European monarchs that were put in place, and now they would like their stolen treasures back. Yes, and apparently we're supposed to sympathize with the princess, We're told in the first scene that the people gave it to her father. So clearly the people surrendered their ownership of it. And now it's hers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm sure they were really happy about it, too. Yeah. Yeah, no, clearly, like, she is the ultimate villain of the movie. And the people of this country should have their Pink Panther diamond. Yes. But yeah, just to lay out the plot of this movie real quickly... So... (laughs) <laughs> Princess I Dalla. like that you said that and then paused for like <laughs> half a minute because the plot is baffling. So Princess Dalla is at a ski resort and has a diamond. In the Italian Alps. Sir Arthur Lytton is a famous man who is also the Phantom, a famous jewel thief. He's also a famous ladies man referred to as the juggler. Yes. Because he Many juggles nicknames. all these ladies. And so he is at a ski resort where Princess Dalla is been exiled to steal the Pink Panther diamond. Inspector Clouseau is on the tail of the Phantom and so is at the ski resort trying to catch him. And his wife obviously is along, but she is also sleeping with the Phantom and acting as his fence. The movie also just starts with like, throwing a lot at you and like the energy is kind of fun where it keeps being like meanwhile and cutting to another place and meanwhile and cutting to another place and meanwhile and cutting to another place and like that's a little funny but it's also more than you need and serves to be kind of confusing like we don't actually need to be introduced to george in los angeles like it makes just as much sense if we're just introduced to him when he shows up and you don't have that added beginning thing of trying to figure out like wait what's going on here Yeah, because I didn't even mention George, who is Lytton's nephew, who shows up at the ski resort to, seems like, just mooch off of his rich uncle. The movie front loads a lot of stuff in a way that makes it hard to track. Yes. So that's the plot of the movie. Yeah. Kind of wild that this movie became as popular as it did. It was a hit. It spawned a franchise, a series of live-action movies that got remade in the 2000s a cartoon series based on its opening title sequence. So I was curious, like the opening title was made for like the opening credits of this. Yeah. And then they made a TV show based off of him. That's wild. Yeah. He's a great character. I mean, yeah, that's kind of fun. That's funny. (laughs) Oh my God. This movie had some stunners in it though. Well, I mean, yeah, it has like literal models in it. You've got Capuchine as Simone Clouseau. You have Miss Italian in Tunisia, Claudia Cardinale. I do wonder if that is a part of the success. I'm sure it's a part of it. But also, like, you know, Claudia Cardinale, like, had been in a bunch of movies before this. Like, she's in eight and a half. Oh, yeah. But what is it? Capuchine? 
she was not in movies before this, was she, as much? This is really sort of her arrival in here, and it was a big deal that she was taking over that role from Ava Gardner. I mean, she's great in this. Before they cast Claudia Cardinale, Audrey Hepburn had been announced as playing the princess, which made sense because Blake Edwards also directed Breakfast at Tiffany's. After Hepburn dropped out, Nancy Kwan and Sid Charisse were also mentioned for playing the princess. But, you know, you got to go with an Italian because you got to have that vaguely foreign <laughs> I was vibe. about to say, I feel like, would they have darkened the skin of those other women? I Quite don't possibly. think so, but probably. At least with an Italian, they seem to not have darkened her skin at all to play a, um... Person. A person. I mean, it's a Maharaja, so I'm assuming South Asia. Yeah, but it, like, doesn't make a lot of sense. I think one of the funniest things is that the young Princess Dala is very clearly, like, a South Asian child. Yes. (laughs) And then she grows up into an Italian woman. Yeah, but she's, like, she's not even properly Italian. She's Sicilian. Oh, of course. She's not She's even further south. Who grew up in Tunisia. That's even further south. So, you know, vaguely exotic. I feel like the 1960s was towards the end of the era where you could just cast Italians as any race because they were exotic enough. Yeah, that's like the last window where that goes on. In part because at that point, more and more Italian cinema is getting imported to the States. Yes, and more people know Italians. Oh, she's still alive. Fun fact. She is, yeah. Pretty cool. I guess she is young for, like, she's not really golden age. She's more new Hollywood in era. Look, Mark, like, as a history teacher, I'm aware that, like, we are going to be some of those, like, weird people. Not that we're going to be in history books, but some of those weird people when you're reading history where you're like, right, Dwight Eisenhower was born in the 19th century. Yeah. Wow. We are going to, like... Our contemporaries will be like, oh my goodness, this person was born last century. Exactly. And then we'll all start dying off, and then at some point, the last person born in 1999 will be a thing. Yeah, but also, like, it'll be a nice dig, like, for younger generations, like, when they don't like politicians that are our contemporaries, they're like, we'd love to elect someone who's born this century. Wow. Ah, fun fact, Claudia Cardinale has been outspoken feminist and supportive of gay causes throughout her life. That's true. So that's fun. Yeah, always a surprise. Her. Always a surprise when you see that from celebrities of this era. Meanwhile, Larry Niven got to react on stage to the Oscar streaker in the 70s. That is crazy that that happened. I always forget that it happened and I have to take a second to remember that it did. If you haven't seen the video, it's pretty great. I think and not I about the streaker, it. more about Larry Niven. He was like the presenter on stage at the time and he played it off very well. I can't imagine someone being able to do that today. I mean, I couldn't until this year, and now I can again. Yes, but a celebrity did it. Yeah. I don't know. I think if a seat filler Celebrities will always be able to do what they want. Yeah, but I think a seat filler could have made it up there. Maybe. In part because this year's stage was so weird. Like, in 1974, like, it was a proper stage. Like, someone had to, like, get up on the stage. Like, this year, there were, like, all these tiers getting lower and lower to the floor. Like, you could sprint up there pretty quickly without having to gain a lot of altitude yeah but i mean the shedding of the clothes by the time you get up there because you know they're security guards like i think you got to strategically start doing it in your seat like you drop Mm -hmm. the jacket while you're sitting down you start undoing buttons maybe undo your belt like in your seat take off your shoes there you want to be able to like take off each clothing piece of clothing in one move as you're getting up there you've put a lot of thought into this will (laughs) 
I'm just spitballing this right now. I don't know why other people don't think of it. It's not complicated. Ah, yeah. If you say so. I think it's also a desire rather than an ability. <laughs> so the Pink Panther. <laughs> the Pink Panther. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Should we talk about the romance? Uh, I do want to shout out Fran Jeffries, who just sings the song in the ski lodge. She's great. It's a great song. And the performance is good. And I really enjoyed that part of the movie. And it is just unrelated to like anything else that comes before or after it. Yeah, but it's a it's a real good dance number. This movie has two great party scenes. One is the dance scene that's like full of color as people are dancing around the ski lodge, and the other is the costume party at the end of the movie, which I enjoyed tremendously. We should bring up because it's not really related to the romance. The jokes about the fact that George and the British ambassador are both in gorilla suits were always funny. Always great. The guy in the zebra suit always being late to whatever's going on. Always funny. The zebra suit drinking from the punch bowl killed me. Yeah. Uh, that's maybe the best sequence in the movie, besides the opening credits. Just the whole costume yeah. party. But the most confusing part of this movie is, why is there a whole English language court in Rome? Yeah, it's, it's tough to figure out what court this is exactly. We're told it's the international court. Is he at the international court at the end? I mean, I assumed, but I don't know. It's just a local crime. Like, he should just be in a normal court, but everyone speaks English. Yeah. And he's put on trial for, like, theft of a jewel. Yeah, there's no reason this shouldn't be a local thing unless, like, he's charged somehow with stealing it from the country that is claiming it. I guess. Maybe the country of Lugash is suing him. Yeah, I would dig that. Ugh. All right, so romance. Will, you took the lead on this week. Yeah, which was foolish of me because the romance is the entire movie, weirdly. This is like not really a detective movie, <laughs> but mm-hmm. it also is very tangled. So I have broken the romance into five different romances. The first one is the one that, at the start of the movie, I thought I would be following for the whole movie. This is a little like when we did our Vertigo episode, and I decided from the drop that I was really into Midge, and I was just going to make all the points be about Midge. This is kind of like that. I did notice that three are about one person. Yeah, one person has a lot of romance going on. Yeah, she does. She's great. Oh, well, there are also three about uh, Sir Charles Lighton. Oh, there are. So we're going to kick things off, though. With the one that I thought this was going to be about when I thought this was basically going to be a Thin Man riff, which is the romance between Inspector Clouseau and his wife, Simone, played by, of course, Peter Sellers and Capuchin. Jack? Yeah. Why don't you come to bed? You know, I, I don't understand this. You see, these uh, footprints, they were... They were made by shoes, and they were not made by (laughs) We are introduced to her (laughs) doing a shady deal, and then she changes, and Nick goes, wait, is that the same woman? Because I think he stopped paying attention. Uh, Let me tell you, I had a hard time for a while getting a handle on which women were which. I mean, they all are very much like 60s model look. Yeah, but there's very much a sense 
that they are pretty into each other. You know, when they, we first see them together, she gives them a nice kiss. We see them again at this Alpine resort where they're very into each other. They're like happy to be at this resort together. It seems like things are going really well. And over the course of the movie, like there are moments of their relationship that are nice. Jacques Clouseau is clearly very into her, but what we learn is that she is less into him. She cares about him, but isn't into him. Like, she doesn't want him to be arrested. I am curious about their relationship. She's clearly not in love with him. I'm curious, like, did she fall in love with him in the past and then they fell out of love? Because he's still very into her. I think that's the case. Like I said, she clearly cares a lot. Like, as much as she is, like, always trying to get him out of the way so she can do what she wants to do, she's also, like, looking out for him a lot of the time. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, she does seem to try and want to protect him at times. They have a very interesting relationship. Yeah, she seems genuinely dismayed at the end of the movie by the idea that he'll be arrested. And David Niven is like, no, like, I'm going to commit more robberies. So it'll be clear that he's not the one who did them. Which, I mean, fair. Yeah. So that brings us pretty smoothly to point number two, which is Simone Clouseau's relationship with David Niven Uh, Sir Charles Lighton, who was the original lead of this movie. Which you can still kind of tell. Very much so. So we find out that they are together because after Clouseau and Simone arrive at the hotel, Clouseau leaves to go do something, and Simone goes to, like, knock on the door that adjoins another hotel room, like, within her suite, and the door opens, and it's David Niven, and they start kissing. And you're like, oh, okay, I guess this is what the movie is about now. Yeah, it's very like, oh, uh, okay. Yeah. The adjoining door is interesting. Like, how did they How did they do that? I guess she made the arrangements for the stay in the resort. Yeah. Because those I are guess. a thing, like sometimes in hotels, and you just normally mm. ignore it because you don't know the person on the other side. I mean, yeah, but you have to specifically request it if you want it. Yeah, so I assume she did that. Yeah, it's so weird. There's not a lot of internal logic in this movie. So they, like, Simone and Charles Lighton are clearly just, like, pretty much together and are, like, always trying to sneak away together. And, you know, they're finding chances to dance together at parties. And we know that she's his, like, we can figure out that she's his fence based off of her introductory scene. Right, exactly. So she is involved in the crimes. Which is, like, an interesting idea for a movie where she's married to the detective, but she's working with the thief. But the movie is not about her. It's not really about any one person. But it is also not really an ensemble movie. I think the most interesting movie would be centered on her. Yeah, that's the compelling story. And it could be a comedy even, where it could be about her charming her way through these different relationships. Yeah, and you still get the scene of, like, the spinning closet in the bathroom. Which is fun. The man hiding inside the closet in the bathroom, and she has to keep distracting him. Like, I think some of the, the best moments in this movie are her in general, but like her trying to distract Clouseau. Yeah. So she and David Niven are just like trying to have their sexy relationship. They do end up together. They, at the end of the movie, get to drive off into the sunset together. But there's Good a third person in the car. And yes. that is <laughs> George. George. Uh, David Niven's nephew, played by Robert Wagner. George is a weird character. <laughs> George is a weird character. So now we're point number three. We're doing the romance between Simone and George. Now stop this, George. You, you must get out of here. You are the damnest woman I've ever met. What are you, a sexual yo-yo? First you jump in my bed, then you push me up a mountain, then you practically seduce me on the dance floor. Now look, George, you're terribly attractive and unnaturally, uh, but not here. 
Where? Well, I don't know, but not tonight. You know what your trouble is? You just can't make up your mind. Well, I am married. Uh-huh, and where's your husband? Out in 12 feet of snow chasing the fence. Well, that was your idea. Sure it was, but if he was any kind of a man, he wouldn't have gone. George is Charles Lighton's nephew, who is an orphan and was basically raised by Sir Charles Lighton. George is a recent college graduate. He's older than a standard college graduate because he did two years in the army and then a year recovering from a tropical disease. Clearly a lie. Yeah, it was it was VD. Yeah. But yeah, he's like 25. And his introduction, well, his real introduction at the start of the movie in Los Angeles is totally confusing. His real introduction at the ski resort is great, where people are like at the like dance club and Clouseau is trying to give his wife a light and he can't get the lighter to go off. And George just kind of comes up behind and gives her a light real quickly because he can turn her on and Clouseau cannot. And she's like kind of flirty with George until she hears that he is Charles Lighton's nephew. And she's like, ew, gross, and starts choking on her cigarette. Right. Just to point out, George is played by the actor who plays number two in the Austin Powers series and who also may have killed his wife, Natalie Wood. Oh, dang. Yeah. <laughs> I have not seen Austin Powers. I did not have that in my head about Robert Wagner. Yeah, that's Robert Wagner. Uh, as of now, I believe he might still be a person of interest in the reopened case. Dang. That's and wild. I believe Christopher Walken, the Padisha Emperor, was there. Wow, I don't really know anything about this, and it kind of feels like I should. Yeah, you should probably, you should read about it. It's They were like on a boat, and then she drowned. I knew that. But that's about what I know. And it was, like, ruled an accident, but was pretty suspicious. Yep, and Christopher Walken was on board. If anybody knows a good book about this, please tweet a book at us at Love the Love Pod. I would happily read a book or listen to a podcast. I mean, I'm sure, honestly, that there's a you-must-remember-this episode about it. The thing is, I'm pretty sure there's not. It's at least referenced in you-must-remember-this. Yeah, but I don't think there's ever been an episode explaining it, which is kind of what I need. Yeah, or a book. So tweet at us if you got that. I would like to know, but I'd rather not, like, read conspiratorial websites. Yeah, with, like, a actual, well-researched piece. Yeah, exactly. All right. <laughs> so anyway, we're talking about Simone and George, a relationship that, by all accounts, should not happen at all. But it goes to ex- its next step when Simone one night decides, like, ah, my husband is out. I'm going to sneak into Charles's bedroom and have sex with him. And she knocks on the shared door and he doesn't answer. So she goes around to his like main door off the hallway and knocks on it and he doesn't answer. And so she's like, I'm going to see if it's unlocked. And it is. And she's like, I'm going to let myself in. And she's like, ah, there's a guy in the bed. I'm going to climb into the bed and like cuddle up with him. And she does. And she kisses him. And whoopsie, it's George. Oops. I mean, he's very into it. Yeah, George is like, look, if a woman is going to wake me up by kissing me, I'm going to kiss her back and and go for the sex. And yet he clearly is like, all right, I guess we're banging right now. And when she realizes who it is, she's like, no, I would would rather leave. Yeah, it's kind of, yeah, it's a weird scene. It's a very weird scene. That gets joked about later where she's like, "Ah, I almost didn't make it out of there. Yeah. But also. Wow. Yeah, it's bad. And then. He, like, fully latches onto her, where he spends the rest of the movie trying to convince her, like, you know, you really should have sex with me. And the uncle is, like, weirdly, I mean, he pushes it as a way to distract him. It's so weird. And then, like, so there's the sequence. This ulti- so weird. There's ultimately, like, a big, like, set piece, I guess, <laughs> where first David Niven shows up, 
And, like, they're getting all flirty. He and Simone. And then George knocks on the door. So David Niven has to hide under the bed. Then she's talking to George. And they're getting all flirty. And then Clouseau comes back. So then George has to hide in the bathroom. So there's, like, a long sequence of her hiding both of these men and trying to sneak them out. And it's just like, what is this movie about? It is not a detective comedy, which is what I was promised. It is just this weird romance thing. It's so bizarre. I don't know what to do with this movie. No. But it's even weirder when we get to point four, honestly. Yeah, so again, like, Simone winds up with David Niven. George is also there. Maybe she'll sleep with him sometimes, too. Clouseau is going to be fine because, one, he's going to be released when it becomes clear that he is not the Phantom, the thief. And two, he's told by the cops, every woman in the country is going to be obsessed with you when you get out. I mean, it seems like he's a people's hero for stealing from the rich. Um, see, being of someone who's not a people's hero, though, point four is about the romance between Sir Charles Lighton and Princess Dalla, played physically by Claudia Cardinale and thoroughly dubbed by Gail Garnett. Isn't this um, departure rather sudden? Not at all. Why do you think so? Well, I just thought that uh, after last night that... My leaving has nothing to do with last night. Hasn't it? You don't know me very well, Sir Charles. No, but I thought last night I was making some progress. That was champagne. Nothing more. Well, whatever it was, it was um, very interesting. I really don't remember. Oh, come on now. That's such an awful old cliche. I don't remember. It's true. You know, the majority of women, they have half a glass too much and let down the barriers a little. Then they wake up in the morning riddled with guilt and think they can reclaim their virtue by saying, I don't remember. Are you saying my virtue is not intact? (laughs) You know it is. Then why should I feel guilty? Well, you're not concerned about what happened. You're worried about what might have happened. That makes you vulnerable. That makes you a woman. You're an arrogant fool. So, is it just not her voice at all? No, it is not her voice at all. That's so weird. It's well done. I, okay. But you <laughs> I can't not really so. tell. Well, I guess I chalked it up to her doing a weird accent. Sure. Trying to be foreign. So she plays the exiled princess of a former colony who now just, like, lives it up in Italy. Yes, and holds on to a diamond that should belong to the people of Lugash. Right, she's been fighting in, I guess, the International Court of Justice to hold on to this thing. Yeah, it's just called the World Court or the International Court or something. Yeah, they keep saying the something, international court. Uh, issue that would not go before an international court because yeah. the international court would say you are a citizen of this country. This is a domestic matter. Right. That's the thing. Like the ICJ is disputes between countries. So it would have to be like recognizing her as a government and also recognizing the new government of this former colony. Is she a government in exile now? Yeah. Her whole goal in the movie is to hold on to this ill-gotten diamond, including ultimately she fakes the theft of it from herself. But then is willing to get, like, willing to give it up for a man. It's very strange. It doesn't make any sense. But the romance between her and Charles Lighton is he is trying to seduce her to get the diamond. Including, for example, like, at one point, he, like, gets her super drunk so that he can try to find out where she keeps it and what the information is for it. But, of course, he starts to fall in love. He starts to fall in love, which he shouldn't have done. But it's weird, because he never really gives up on Simone. He never gives up on Simone, and it's also never treated as, like, a thing that he's struggling with. He's just like, 
the guy who's doing both. And like, we are told that he's the juggler. He's the guy who can juggle all these women and have them know about it and be fine with it. Like, that's what makes him so magical as the juggler. But you're still like, so, so what do we care about here? <laughs> do we care about the diamond? Because no one seems that focused on it. But we can't care about the relationship because no one seems to feel like there are any stakes. I think this movie's too horny for its own good. And that's, that's the major failing. This movie's too horny. It's a detective movie in which the detective has a golden gun, but it doesn't care about the investigation. It's too busy being horny. Everyone's horny. We didn't talk about the fact that Inspector Clouseau, when his wife is a bundle of nerves, the movie implies he's going to eat her out, but actually he just plays violin for her in bed. Good scene. Good scene. There's a lot of good physical comedy between the two of them when he's trying to kiss her. But the relationships are bananas. The last relationship is between Charles Lighton and all women. This is point number five. All women are obsessed with him. <laughs> this is maybe one of our broadest points yet. But, like, we're told repeatedly all women are into him. He is the juggler. And then the thing is, what's fascinating is, like, women are fascinated by Sir Charles Lighton, this individual. Women are also captivated by the Phantom, his criminal alter ego whose identity was unknown. Like, we are told when the trial is happening that, like, the crowd is mostly women turned out to see the Phantom. Yeah, I mean, it's a Robin Hood situation, I think. Yeah, but I'm just saying, sexy. Like, this is a genuine point of romance. The movie does not include yes. a woman that is not into him. That is correct. Even the most minor female character is into Charles Lighton. It's a weird movie. So, Will, do you, find the ro- <laughs> do you find the romance of the Pink Panther believable? No! No? I, I barely understand it. Honestly, the most believable is probably Simone and Lytton, or maybe Simone and Clouseau. Yeah, the Simone-Lytton-Clouseau thing mostly works. Yes. It's, it's not still believable, a little too but it cute. works. Yeah, it's a little too cute with like her being the thief and being married to the detective who's an expert on that specific thief, but... There's a logic to it. There's no logic to the George of it all, which everyone seems fine with. And there's no logic to anything that happens with the princess. No. So on a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being the least and 10 the most believable, where would you rate this? Like a 2? Yeah. 2 sounds right to me. Yeah. This movie's nonsense. It's utter nonsense. Would you date any of the romantic leads? No, because four of them are criminals and we're an anti-crime podcast we're mostly anti-murder we are mostly anti-murder i guess mora is pro-criminal and likes to give advice to them it's like the phantom a robin hood character stealing from the rich turns out he is rich so none of the money is helping anyone that's the thing like it would be more fun if he were michael kane in dirty rotten scoundrels who is also stealing from the rich but it feels like he is not originally wealthy like he has enriched himself at the expense of dumb rich people right whereas charles lighton you're like this guy's a knight like it's definitely like an inherited like upper class british thing he's just bored george the worst george is terrible princess dalla probably a war criminal almost certainly simone uh, maybe Uh, probably the most compelling of them clouseau is very sweet He's very nice, but the bumbling, it's just too far. Also, some of the things he did hit a little close to home. What do you mean? Uh, Some of his accidents. 
that he would like walking into things and stuff like that are things I have done and I did not like seeing it represented on stage. No. Not all represent <laughs> not all representation matters. <laughs> Sometimes you don't want to see yourself reflected on screen. All right. Well, um, do you think that Sir Charles Lighton and Simone will stay together? Honestly, I think so. They've made yeah, it through this. They're going to be a, a fun, like, upper-class Bonnie and Clyde. I mean, that's the only couple, so I guess that's it. Well, unless George gets involved. Oh, maybe. I don't really see that. Well, if you had to pick somebody in the Pink Panther to date Mark, whom would you choose? I think the ski lounge singer. Strong choice. Because she could sing and dance. Or the British ambassador. I'm going ski lounge singer. I think she's the best option. Now, Will, many of the movies we cover are turned into musicals. Should there be a Pink Panther musical? I'm open to a Pink Panther musical. There should not be a musical adaptation of the film The Pink Panther. Like, this movie does not make enough sense. Yeah, I was like, I can't imagine how much more confused I would be watching a musical version of this. Like, I think some of these characters could be adapted into a musical, but this story is unsalvageable, as it appears. Yes. Okay, so I think that's it for the Pink Panther. I'm glad you've seen it now. I am too. I'm bewildered. I think I need to watch one of the other ones. It's like a weirdly important movie for as weird of a movie as it is. It's in the National Film Registry. It is indeed. Uh, Next week, we are discussing- It's the 4th of July, so we're talking about Dave. Which Mark, do you know what Dave is? Is there a movie called Meet Dave that's like bad? Um- there is a 2008 film called Meet Dave. Uh, it stars Eddie Murphy. Yes. Okay. So for the longest time, when you were talking about the movie Dave, this is what I thought you were talking about. Okay. I don't know anything. What is this movie about? Uh, Eddie Murphy plays a robot that is driven by smaller versions of himself. That sounds bad. Yes. So that's what I thought you were talking about, which is why I never wanted to watch Dave. But now okay. it turns out Dave is not Meet Dave. No. Dave is President Kevin Klein. Like, has to go in for, like, like a serious surgery with a long recovery phase or something. But they don't want people to know. So they find random lookalike Kevin Klein. It's a little Princess Switch logic to come and, like, be a stand-in for the president for a while while his advisors, like, run the country. But he's, like, doing all the public events and he gradually realizes, like, he can force the administration in good directions by just, like, making public pronouncements and then because they don't want to admit that guy's not the president, they have to start bowing to, like, some of his good at populist ideas. I am excited to see this. It's one of those, like, 1990s, Bill Clinton is elected, the president is sexy now. Like, like the American president. Right. Hmm. It's very much in that vein. Well, until then, you can follow this show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod, and you can email us questions or movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe, especially on Apple Podcasts to help other people find the show. All right, Will, what's the best piece of dating advice we got from the Pink Panther? <laughs> Good Lord. Um, uh, if someone says they are not interested in you, just believe them and move on. Because George could have saved himself a lot of stress when he had to hide himself from Inspector Clouseau if he had just taken Simone's no the first time. The first thing that came to my mind, be hot and do crimes. (laughs) All right. Well, there you go. Until next time, I'm a ginger. And I'm gay. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye. Bye. Bye.